Now we are recording. Now we are ready. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Party on, guys. Party on, Sal. Party on, Blake. Party on. on. Well, welcome back, podcasters, to another episode of the Party on Johncast, the most excellent podcast that deals with music, theology, coffee, or other beverages, and just all-around righteous uh, topics from a Reformed and Wesleyan perspective figure I'll change up the intro a little bit. Uh, I'm Reverend Sal, uh, Sir Marco, a ordained teaching elder in the Presbyterian Church USA and the validated ministry of hospice chaplaincy. Validate me, please. <laughs> Always. Always needing that Always. validation. I don't know. I don't know, Blake. You look like a very validating dad to your daughter, uh, but but Sal just seems like he was deprived his whole life of it, doesn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Pretty much. Anyway, and that's why that's why he was a glutton for punishment. What's that? He is from New Jersey. I mean, you are he is too. From, I'm from, yeah, yeah, we're both yeah. from New Jersey. And and he he we, did decide to go into a, a a ministry that has to validate him. Exactly. So <laughs> my identity. Anyway. <laughs> um. Well, I am the Rock and Reverend Todd Laddick, uh, serving in, uh, well, I'm an ordained elder in the uh, uh, United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey, serving a congregation in Newton, New Jersey, and uh, just just happy to be here, guys. And I'm the Viking Vicar, Reverend Blake Severson, pastor in uh, Presbyterian USA Church in Rock Island, Illinois. Um and uh, as you can all see, uh, a proud new father of a little one um, who is here with us today and will be for some time. Mm, mm. Very nice. Congratulations. So, it's so, good, to have, good to have a spe- that special guest with us. Uh, that special guest is pretty rocking. And I want to give a shout out right now to Lauren. And I believe his name is Josh. And if I'm wrong, he'll, he'll correct me when I see him again. Uh, but Lauren and Josh, uh, uh, I've met at Angry Eric, a place that uh, our listeners should be uh, uh, definitely familiar with. And uh, a, long, a while ago, I met them, they're teachers, and uh, they heard that we had a podcast. Uh, I think it was right around the time we had recorded at, uh, at Angry Eric, and they had, I don't know if they were there that night or we were talking about it, but they were interested and evidently uh, subscribed to our podcast and listened to it. So rock on, guys. Shout out to you, Lauren and Josh, if I'm right. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm terrible with names, but they know that. So uh, shout out to you guys. Thank you for listening. And uh, and thank you to all of our listeners for listening. You guys rock. Our podcasters are the best. Literally. They are. Very much. So uh, I guess that uh, brings us into our... Hebrew segment. And how do you know that God likes coffee? How? So? Because he had someone. Uh, because he had someone write about it in the Book of Hebrews. Nah, that. Um, well, you guess you need an instruction yeah. manual for brewing coffee if you've not done it. Before. You do. 
you do especially <laughs> since they didn't have Keurig machines back then yes yes Keurig machine was was non-existent um so, so uh, i guess which one of us wants to go first i, I can since i'm drinking the most boring <coughs> thing out of us uh, sure. but i love it it's not boring to me uh i am drinking i gotta do this i am drinking what uh is known as <clears throat> poland springs uh sparkling water and this is the uh pomegranate lemonade and it is one of my favorite flavors. Actually, I prefer this or I prefer simply bubbles, like no flavor. So. Very nice. <clears throat> and, I, the, and I, the angel of death, am drinking uh, Tim Hortons medium roast. Just my, my go-to. Uh, yeah. My go-to Tim, Timmy's when it's not Dunkin' or Starbucks. So, yes, yes. and in my in my coffee top coffee talk mug, which was gifted to me because my coffee talks are back on again. Yay! And uh, you know, I'm gonna have to drink <clears throat> something in a mug next time. It's been a while. I got a cool mug of the Mandalorian uh, holding up uh, Grogu. It's really cool. So, what are you drinking? Uh, oh, you're this, drinking. Uh, this is coffee from one of my favorite cups. Mountains are calling. Because these are, um, and it's uh, Kicking Horse Coffee from Canada. Okay, highly recommend it. Hey, do you not like me talking? Is that what this is? <laughs> cool. Pay attention to me, Daddy. Pay attention to me. I was gonna say it's a little early for the baby to have coffee, but you know. <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> Give me some. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this is my third double shot of the day. This time by choice, though, because uh, this is two nights in a row now that she slept about seven hours straight. Um, so we're knock on all the wood in the universe, maybe turning a corner on that. Um, but uh, wow, yeah. yeah, that's a that's good. That's a that's an update right there. That's a that's good stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Well, Kicking Horse, I highly recommend anybody looking for some good coffee. They ship from Canada. Um, you okay. can get it for really about the same price as you would from Starbucks. They're a really great company um, based out of um, Alberta. And just I, I, I can't can't speak highly enough about their coffee. It's really okay. good. I'll have to check them out. Kicking Horse. So if you want, course, we'll if you want a, so if you want a non-chain coffee from Canada like Tim Hortons, go with the Kicking <clears throat> Kicking Horse. Yes, yes. Kicking Tim Hortons, Hortons is yeah. also consequently from Canada, right? <laughs> mm. Hey, yeah, here's the Canadian coffee. <laughs> yeah, Wildling Coffee. Here we are. This is the Hebrew segment Canadian Coffee Edition. <laughs> Yeah, and Poland Springs, <laughs> Poland Springs, consequently, is American, but it is up in Maine, which is right there next to Canada. So, yeah, so we're, 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 we're Canada edition today, or northern, northern those, states. Those Maine Springs may be fed from, from Canada. You never know. Yeah. So, then yeah. again, uh, Indiana is pretty up there, basically too. basically South Newfoundland, isn't it? Yes. Pretty yes. much. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. So that brings us into our most excellent music. Okay, how did the baby re react to that? <laughs> Good. 
just kept Baby staring. reaction edition. <laughs> so far, so good. Cool, cool. Okay. The most excellent music edition, baby metal edition. There you baby go. Metal edition. Oh. <laughs> baby metal edition. I may come up with a kids, kids, kids bop metal edition. Uh, that would be cool. I'd have to get kids though. That's have you thing. guys heard of baby metal? Do you know that baby yeah. metal is a thing? Yeah, is baby Japan. metal a thing? It is a thing. Yeah. It is a thing in Japan. I mean, yeah. It's uh, they're uh, it's a is it two or three three uh japanese women but metal j-pop stars um girls that were loaded up in front of one of a, a pretty pretty intense metal band like they're real good um oh, wow. they sing combo j-pop death metal and it's compelling uh it's very good yeah wow so if you've seen they're what 20s or 30s Oh. but they they're 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 dressed up sort of in the 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 jk pop uh anime like baby doll type outfits gotcha. but then and they're baby metal, and they're, gotcha. they're and they're singing basically j-pop music but supported by a really good intense metal band cool so. well i'm never against that adding metal to anything is cool yeah. um Adding metal to anything improves whatever you're adding it to. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, wow. Okay. So what are you all listening to? Listening to? Uh, a baby metal, I take it, is not what you're listening to, but it could be. Wow. Don't <laughs> all speak. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go since uh, Blake cool. is attending to. Um, I've been listening to and kind of spurred on by uh, Todd because Todd reminded me the other day of a very good <clears throat> thrash metal documentary on Amazon Prime. Yes. Uh, I think it's called Thrashing or Get Thrashed or get I forget thrashed, the name of it. Yeah. It's get Thrashed. Um, and one of the one of the people interviewed is uh, Bobby Blitz, the singer from Overkill, uh, who were an influential part of the east coast new york city jersey thrash scene they're what they're the, the big uh really think they should be part of the you know included in the big four and be the big fifth but you know anyway they are the big fifth they just never get included in that list yeah yep yep because there's no other so, bigger band out there that i can think of that had more influence on the thrash no. metal scene other than the big four than overkill i mean it's just they're, yep. they're up there yep yeah so I uh, went back to, uh, and they're great. They're awesome. So um, one of, I think, I think their best album, if not one of their best albums, which came out in 97, the same year I graduated, graduated high school. Um, kind of was after the peak of thrash metal and thrash really wasn't <clears throat> a big scene. Uh, is their album uh, from the underground and below. Uh, it's just, the whole album is great. Uh, and it's actually has a song called Promises, which is almost, considering Overkill, it's almost a ballad. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great song. I actually used it in CP. Uh, but the song I'm going to talk about, and it kind of goes with one of our themes today, uh -huh. is the song uh, I'm All Right <clears throat> by okay. Overkill. Uh, 
that says, oh, my God, in blood-soaked silhouette. Oh, my God, at the end of a bayonet. Oh, my God, put wings on the rhetoric. Oh, my God, I'm all right. No pity, salvation, or need. No more on the way. No pity, toleration, or greed. This is where I lay. Yeah, I'm all right, and I need to know when I'm dead and gone, where do I go? Uh, Jesus Christ in sun-baked misery. Jesus Christ in sun-drenched agony. Oh, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, my God, now who's taking care of me? Uh, no pity, salvation, or need. No more on the way. No pity, toleration, or greed. This is where I lay. Yeah, I'm all right. And I need to know when I'm dead and gone, where do I go? So, um, and if you know, um, ironically, Bobby, his mother was in the choir with my aunt. My aunt is still... Uh, the organist at um, Catholic Church up in Suffern, New York, right across the border from Jersey. And his mom was one of her star singers in the choir. So um, I don't think that singing talent really passed on to Bobby. Sorry. But so he was raised Catholic. So he he has an understanding of theology and God. And But I don't know. That kind of song kind of makes me think about... Um, we pastors and clergy like to say we're okay, but we're not. So, especially after um, next month will be two years of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. So, but we'll get into that topic in a little bit. Yeah, and that reminds me of uh, what I've been listening to. Well, yes, uh, I was watching Get Thrashed, and it is a really great documentary on Prime. Uh, if you haven't seen it, watch it. It's definitely, uh, it's an hour and 40 minutes of just, like, the history you need to know about thrash metal and the influence that the thrash metal has had on all other subsequent metal genre, <laughs> metal subgenres that, that uh, throughout, throughout, uh, throughout time. Um, metal prior to, to thrash was more poppy and glitzy and more like, you know, like what you'd expect to see out of a metal band in the seventies. Uh, even black Sabbath started off very like, like metal. And then they kind of, you know, lost, lost their way a little bit and didn't really contribute in my opinion, in the later years, as much as they did in the earlier years. But when you get into like bands, like uh, obviously Metallica and uh, Megadeth and Slayer and um, Anthrax and Overkill. I mean, these were bands that just paved the way for a, a more brutal, more real, more raw type of metal that just influenced all metal. It, it, it really, really uh, set the direction of metal from that point on. And so <clears throat> I've been listening to a lot of Slayer. Um, I've been listening to a lot of Megadeth. I love Megadeth. And truth be told, this... <laughs> Truth be told, uh, Metallica, get, Metallica rightfully gets a lot of credit for what they did. But a lot here's the dirty secret. It's not really a dirty secret. It's well known. Uh, but without Dave Mustaine, it's unlikely Metallica would have got where they got. You know, like Dave Mustaine was the driving, like I mean, he wasn't the driving force behind Metallica. But when it comes to those sick riffs and and just the 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 level of attack that that he just he and he alone is talented enough to do yeah. um he, they, they even unreal. they yeah they even mentioned that in the documentary how much influence he had on their songwriting and yeah, songwriting even metallica of admits it. <laughs> yeah. even metallica just it. Had, of course oh go ahead sorry sal he just had that substance uh abuse he issue so he did he was super talented like, on the guitar 
super talented guitarist, super talented songwriter, uh, had an understanding. I mean, you think of songs like Creeping Death, which are theologically motivated. Well, guess who was a co-writer on that? You know, it was Dave Mustaine. And so when he got kicked out, I mean, it's well documented, the feud he had with Metallica, and he formed Megadeth as a blood revenge against Metallica, but created one of, if not the greatest, in my opinion, uh, thrash metal band of all times because of just what they were able to do. And they never, unlike Metallica, never sold out ever <laughs> like like slayer megadeth overkill those guys ne anthrax even never sold out but metallica they shaved their heads they wore polyester for years and were doing a load and reload and uh saint anger of crap um and then all of a sudden decided to get back into it with death magnetic thank you jesus but megadeth never had that they never had that 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 off-road stint um uh, and so i'm gonna read I've been listening a lot to Rust in Peace, which is, uh, you know, everybody knows um, uh, Peace Sells, but who's buying? Everybody knows uh, uh, Countdown to Extinction. Rust in Peace is a great, great album. It was a very successful album when it came out, uh, but got overshadowed, I think, by some other albums. And uh, the one I'm going to read is Poison Was the Cure, uh, because... Well, it, it seems like this song is written about a relationship. It could really be about any relationship. It doesn't have to be a romantic one. So uh, I really like the lyrics. Um, I missed the warm embrace I felt. First time you... Uh, first time... First time you... Hold on one second. This is uh, playing. I missed the warm embrace I felt. First time you touched me, secure and safe in open arms. I should have known you'd crush me. A snake you were when we met. I loved you anyway, pulling out your poison fangs. The venom never goes away. Serpent swims free in my blood, dragons sleeping in my veins. Jackal uh, speaking with my tongue, roach egg laying in my brain, stalked beneath your shadows. And here it goes playing again, sorry. Um, uh, hold on one second. I'm reading it off of uh, Apple Music, which is the problem. Uh yeah, so the venom never goes away. Serpent swims free in my blood, dragon sleeping in my vein, jackal speaking with my tongue, roach egg laying in my brain, stalked beneath your shadows, sleepwalking to the gallows. I'm the sun that beats your brow in until I finally threw the towel in, never knowing if I'd wake up in a whirlpool. Uh, in a whirlpool got redundant. My brain was just some driftwood. In a cesspool, I became dead. From a rock star to a desk fool was my destiny, someone said. Life's a tide pool. Taste the waters. Life's abundant. Taste me. And I, 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 what I love about that song is it's a guy who's clearly grieving the loss of some sort of relationship. We've all been there. Uh, I love your background, by the way. <laughs> Sal. Yep. Uh, That's Charlie from Overkill. Yep. Char yep. So, um, so I love, I love the fact that, um, that you know it's dealing with that but then at the same time this the self-doubt that comes in and what other people tell you you can go from a rock star to a desk guy you know like like it's just so raw so real that's what i love about mustaine is 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 the honest the brutal honesty of his lyrics and i could have read more traditional megadeth stuff like uh, rust and peace itself is about nuclear warfare and, and the government's just having way too much control um but, you know, I thought I'd read one a little more personal to, to Mustaine. So that's me. Um, 
we have been listening to a lot of Encanto because Ada loves it. <laughs> uh, she she it just thinks the hot it's rage right now. It is the best thing ever. Um, but we also, um, she's a big fan of Sing. Um, the, the, oh, uh, hey, do you want to speak? Um, so she loved the movie Sing, which is like the animals having a song, you know, like an American Idol competition. Um, and so Sing 2 came out, and so we kind of did that as, I think it was last weekend or the weekend before, kind of as a, you know, family thing to finally watch that movie. And so it's not music that I have listened to before, honestly, but it's something I want to start digging into a little more is U2, because Sing 2 is really just a vehicle for Bono songs so that it could get him to be the big, like, inclusive star in the movie. Um, and so there's just, a, you know, they, I'm sure the deal was like, Bono, we want you to play this part. He's like, fine. How many U2 songs can we get into this movie? Um, <laughs> and the answer was quite a few. Um, yeah. But um, it just... Which, which movie is this again? That, what's that? Is this Encanto or are we talking about a different movie? Sing 2. Sing, sing two, 2. Sing 2. Right, right. Sing 2. Okay. I was going to say, yeah. I don't recall Bono being in Encanto, but I could have missed no. that. <laughs> yeah, real subtle part. Um, no, so Sing 2 um, has some really great music, and it's a lot of fun. And it's got it's got what I think is a really good story. Um, yeah. But hearing the words of U2 songs, which we've all heard a million times. Yeah. Because kind of phrased like that made me think, like, I really need to dig into this band more. Because, I mean... I like it when I hear it, but I'm not seeking it out. Um, yeah. And so one of the things I'm intending to do is to dig more deeply into it because, um, you know, still haven't found what I'm looking for is a really deep theological song. As, and and I, I've heard those lyrics a million times, but to, when sitting watching this movie, they kind of struck me for the first time. Yeah, yeah. You know, this it's a great song, right? Of, this recognition in that song of him knowing who Jesus is, but then the chorus coming in, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for is a really important theme uh, in important. Christian life, right? We know, we know these things, we know the stories, yeah. we, but we're, we're not done looking. There's still some hunger out there that, that is, is calling us into something different. Um, absolutely. And, like I'm getting goosebumps as you talk about this, like, absolutely. And, and I, and I think also what I see in that is that it's not a bad thing. It's a natural thing, right? I, you know, I find fulfillment in Jesus, but I also find a lot of fulfillment in these mountains that I like to go climb um, and the yeah. things that make me who I am. Um, and, you know, as I was listening to it was we were watching this movie, one, just enjoying it, but also thinking like, how many people's natural passions and abilities have been discounted because it wasn't dressed in Jesus, right? And what oh, have we yeah. met in the church because it's not the package we're used to. And, and this fulfillment isn't coming because we're not including people's love for the mountains or for metal music or knitting or, you know, whatever it is, right? You know, you name it. We've kind of said, well, if you don't make it explicitly Christian and it doesn't count. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I've been thinking about. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how much more of that is in their music because I'm sure it's everywhere. It, it, uh, it is. And my, I mean, listening i mean you two i've always had a tremendous respect for you two uh and i do like their music when i hear it but i am a lot like you blake in that i don't necessarily seek it out if it's on i appreciate it <laughs> but, yeah. but uh, in what i have heard of you two 
Um, and I've heard a decent amount of their stuff. They, they, religion and faith and and the the human struggle are very much themes throughout their music. I, I in, well, my, in my uh, <clears throat> not not too long before his passing, I know that Bono did <clears throat> did some work with Eugene Eugene Pe- uh, Peterson uh, around uh, the music of the Psalms. Yes. Um, I can't remember which song it is, but there is a U2 song that I think they did base on a psalm. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I think Bono's been pretty open about how faith has in, influenced his He's a song. Christian, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, he's a Christian, he has Christian faith, So, uh, and it does influence his song, right? And there's no doubt about it. And like you said, I think, I, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, is the pinnacle of that. I mean, like, it's just... It just like is the human experience when it comes to faith, you know, like, and and the human experience in general. I think even with take God and religion aside, we we search and search and search, and we still haven't found what we're looking for. Period. Um, it's just it's universal. Is his music uh, reaches spiritual levels, but they they're they're delivered in universal ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which is what the I think is what's great about Bono actually. And people accept it. They know who he is. They know what he believes, uh, and they accept it. And they find what what you know. They connect to that music in the way that it connects to them. And I, I think that's the Christian. That's the way Jesus did it, right? Like he met people where they were. He didn't, mm-hmm. he didn't make them come up to where he was. And well, uh, so, I, think it, I think it was Calvin because I'm Presbyterian, so I had to bring him Calvin. Um, sure, he got to bring him Calvin. Whatever is good, um, whatever is beautiful. Um, whatever is true, there is God also. And he was talking right. about this ability to accept, you know, to look at the Stoic philosophers or to look at Socrates or, you know, any of these, you know, ancient people that weren't speaking specifically Christianese and saying, is there truth in that? Right. And that's a part of God's truth working its way out through history. And I, I think. I realize how much Plato had in Plato and well, how much Socrates and Plato had an effect on Christian theology in Western Christian theology. Um, absolute major influence. And you see, you know, you see, you know, one of the, you know, condemnations I've heard from atheists is, well, you know, these stories are in every religion. I'm like, right. Think about how insane that is. That, yeah, you're, you're right. And you're actually proving my point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, These thoughts were, were, were naturally arising in human, in human beings throughout the ages and throughout the globe. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's amazing. Um, yeah, and, we and can focus to... on the differences, but the similarities are just absolutely mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. To not, <clears throat> to not get too much into, uh, Mr. Uh, I'm not saying it's aliens, but it was aliens. The fact that yeah. these cultures, <laughs> these cultures and these religions from around the world have these similar thoughts and stories. And yeah, it's that, that natural, <clears throat> natural theology coming out. And, you know, I, I think Calvin probably wasn't, was probably getting that from, you know, from Philippians, whatever's right, just whatever's true, whatever's good, mm-hmm. do those yeah, things. That's right out of Philippians. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, yeah, sometimes Calvin yeah. and Wesley, they just quoted scripture, you know, <laughs> like, it's, it's yeah. like, it's just, you know, uh, but <clears throat> yeah. Um, what, is, what does Wesley say? Do all the good you can, wherever you can. Yeah. 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 Which, 
I guess this brings us into our main segment, which I haven't even come up with a name for this episode yet, so uh, if that presents itself, it will. Uh, but I guess we can talk about, well, I think the two tie together, but they, they do so differently. Um, we can talk about, uh, there's been an awful lot of celebrity deaths um, this year in particular, or at least maybe maybe it's the same amount as always, but it just seems like one after another you're hearing somebody died. And I was, just to give a little backstory as to why I thought this would be a good thing to talk about, I was uh, really, really floored. Uh, obviously, when Betty White died, but you knew Betty White almost 100. She was, her time was borrowed at that point. It was, you know, like, but like when I heard that Bob Saget died, I mean, I grew up watching Bob Saget. I mean, he was, he was one of America's TV dads. Uh, probably one of the more wholesome ones that didn't end up in jail, you know, for drugging people or something else like that. <laughs> something else like that. He was like, he was just like, and yet, you know, I followed his uh, stand up as well. And he broke that mold of being Danny Tanner and was quite vulgar and could, could, uh, you know, make even some of the most vulgar comedians blush. Um, he was in life just a really, from what, it, what you can tell from all accounts, all accounts across the board, was just a really decent human being who you really wanted to get to know. And um, whether he was being dirty and vulgar on stage or being adorable and funny uh, in a family-friendly kind of way on Full House or America's Funniest Home Videos, where he was just zany, um, he, he really had an impact on people's lives. And I found myself truly grieving his loss, crying at points. Like, And I, that was the weirdest thing. It's like, I don't even really know this guy. I mean, I knew him in a way, but I I didn't really know him. And I was thinking, you know, like how celebrity deaths really do impact us, how the grief is real. And yet at the same time, kind of surreal, not not entirely reality. And so I thought that would be a neat conversation. And then we can also talk about self-care, because that's something we should always be talking about, (laughs) quite frankly. I don't think any of us on this earth do self-care quite well. Um, we'd be a better place if we did. So I don't, you know, as a, as a hospice chaplain and a chaplain general, uh, when there's this flux influx of slurry deaths in, you know, December, January, beginning of the year, I'm not surprised because that I noticed that pattern anyway, because of just death happens to peak where it's more noticeable. But yeah, you had Louis, you had Louis Anderson, you had Meatloaf, you had Betty White, you had Sidney Poitier, you had uh, Bob Saget. Uh, Bob Saget and, and Louis Anderson, both comedians who Louis Anderson had his own cartoon back in the what was it, the 90s or two, early 2000s, you know, influenced our generation, the next younger generation without knowing it. I think that that's probably why they feel so raw is because they were such at least for bob saget he was a very public he was a big part of our generation's childhood and he was only 65 like 65 uh when you're 20 65 seems ancient but it's not ancient it's 65 is young so um I think because they are in such public, public forums, it feels like Todd said, they, you feel like you know them. 
Yeah. I think as I'm, as I'm listening to you guys talk, one of the things I'm thinking about here is the connection is, at least as I see it, is these people are our self-care. For right, I mean, we go, we consume media instead of feeling our feelings most of the time. <laughs> right? We go to our favorite musicians, we go to watch our favorite comedies or you know, watch this show that we love, right? To escape, to kind of that's our self-care. I mean, that's what that's what we do at the end of the day, is we're watching New Girl right now. We're watching back through that. You know, it's just there's something about that that this the media we consume uh, becomes a part of our self-care routine. And when that leaves, we feel it deeply. Uh, you know, these people that we've kind of entrusted our own well-being to um, mm-hmm. and who have taken that mantle, right, have taken the mantle of being yep. public that, that, that provide this service. Um, they, you know, they really do provide a service in a lot of ways, especially yeah. when it's done yeah. well. Um, you know, doesn't, I think doesn't, new girl, that, doesn't, doesn't New Girl have that bearded, funny bearded guy, the comedian? I can't think of his name. He's got the fuzzy beard. He's kind of uh, overweight, bald, but bald with some fuzzy hair, stringy. Anyway, I saw my daughter watching it, and he would maybe he was just in one scene and isn't in the show as a whole. But that comment, the comedian was uh, was one of the guys that roasted Bob Saget on Comedy Central. Just saying. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, not to th- that. That's neither here nor there. Yeah, but you know, I think about you know the celebrity death. I think that probably hit me the hardest and it hasn't been one of the most recent ones um Mm -hmm. but i remember clearly the day chris cornell died oh yes chris Cornell. that was that was rough that was was rough um in part because of the way that he shared his journey with depression in his music and so we knew what he was going through Mm -hmm. and then to find out that he lost it he lost the battle. It was just he crushed. lost the battle. Yep, he um, lost the battle. I mean, I'm tearing up thinking about it right now. Like that one, yeah. that one hammered. That was uh, rough, and and it was unseen because you knew his struggle was so it was so public, and he had he had seemingly conquered it, and was like kind of something you know, like you kind of looked to him like, well, if he can get by this, I can get by this, mm-hmm. and then bam, <laughs> it's like oh no, he didn't he didn't survive it at all. Yeah, but. You know, you think about the songs he wrote with Soundgarden and the songs he wrote with Audio Snake. Uh, I mean, those are, those are some really beautiful, deep, and touching songs. And yeah. to see the perspective of the way that he died makes them different. Uh, and it makes it just, it, I, I personally, I would go to Soundgarden and Audio Slave a lot when I needed to feel my feelings. Uh, oh, yeah, so no, was, I did too. Yep, yep. For him to depart, I did really too. Difficult. And actually, uh, Similarly, uh, I did the same with Stone Temple Pilots, and I did the same with Nirvana back when they, you know, I still do with Nirvana here and there, uh, but obviously he died so many years ago that it, everybody just knows that it's not a shock anymore. But I remember when that happened distinctly and seeing the body being brought out in a, a stretcher, and it was just like, oh. And at that time, I was suicidal. I was feeling suicidal myself. I listened to that music because it, it spoke to me. I related with it, you know, and uh, yeah, but Soundgarden was that, that Chris Cornell was, that was tough. Yeah. Yeah. At least with Bob Saget, I mean, as, as much as that shocked me and it, and I did grieve it because that's a, that's a part of my childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, 
as much as that that shocked me, at least he died doing what he loved doing, and it was it was a natural cause event. It was not like he was drugged or struck out. It wasn't like he committed suicide or, you know, he just he died. <laughs> it happens, you know. Yeah, it, yeah. it sucks, but but Cornell that 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 has a whole different level of suck on it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, for comedians too, it, it's maybe more upsetting because they, like, like you said, uh, like that's what we go to for self care. And I know having heard enough, having heard enough comedians interviewed on radio, uh, radio show I listen to, um, you know, comedy for them is their self care because you know, like every human being, they're broken in some some way and. Um, you know, comedy is that outlet that allows they're they're broken more than most. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So comedy for them is their therapy, and they actually get get their care and their energy and their high from making people laugh. Um, oh yeah, getting people to a, a better place. So yeah. I think that's probably what with Louis Anderson and and Betty White and. Bob Saget is these are these are people who we feel so connected to because they they made us forget our own hurts or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the amount of times, I mean, you think about the the character that Bob Saget played on Full House. And he was a single dad at a time where single dads were unheard of. Right? He's a single dad who is living with two other guys, his brother in law and his good friend. Who were trying to raise a family together. This was like <laughs> Full House was so ahead of its time at the time when you think about it. And yet people just accepted it because of how endearing it was. I mean, there you know, like it it, it just you know, I think it, it it maybe not for everybody, you know, like and this is maybe we can talk about um the race race in here as well. As a white kid growing up in suburbia, Full House was like one of the things that I could really relate to, not because I lived in a situation similar to theirs, but just because the life circumstances that happened in the show were just similar to, uh, you know, middle class white kids experience. Um, if I were growing up in the, you know, urban city, I might still like Full House, but I might relate more with, uh, you know, uh, you know, some some other uh, show, maybe the Cosby Show or or some other show that that like more meets. Well, the Cosby Show didn't really because he was a doctor, but you find one of those shows that like you know uh, Family Matters or something like that, where uh, where you, you have or even um, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, where you got a kid from from the the hood coming and living with their his rich family and not being able to relate. I mean, those I think those particular shows have a place in our culture because they really spoke to other other uh, demographics in our culture. But for me, Full House was you know something I just definitely definitely related to. So it was it was a shock. And then to hear John Stamos's words, you know, and then you're watching people who really knew Bob Saget grieving publicly about it. And uh, I think John Stamos really just summed up. He did a brilliant, beautiful eulogy for for Bob Saget. Um, but, yeah, so, I, you know, I thought like, you know, we 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 do on one end. I think you're right. Blake and Sal, like, like, I think a lot of the reason why this shocks us so much is these are the people we go to 
for our moral support, so to speak, even more than we would go to a church or we go to, you know, like, sure, we go to the church. We do. But at the end of the day, when you're alone at night and you're having a bad time, who do you turn to? Yeah. You, you know, yeah. And, and you do, you turn to these celebrities that have given you hope and made you feel good about yourself and affirmed who you were, even though all of that isn't real. It's kind of within us, right? Like we're affirming ourselves through the things we're watching. (laughs) So it's a real psychological mess up there. But but then that brings the other side of it, like these relationships that we think we have. And I'm not saying it's bad to have them. Like, like I find like listening to metal uh, really, really soothes my soul because there's a war on, you know, inside of me a lot of the time. And and metal helps me get that out, you know. Um, and so I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but in reality, um, as Christians, we know that Bob Saget's not going to save me from anything. Chris Cornell's not going to save me from anything. He couldn't save himself, you know. Like, like we turn to these these things that make us feel better, but they're really just quick fixes. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be, you know, um, grieving the loss of life. We should be, but it just makes me wonder, like how how much we idolize these people, you know. And that makes the shock when they do something crazy even worse, right? Like, oh, they did what? Bob Saget wouldn't do that. Well, Bob Saget never did, but you know, you can pick your star that's gone off the walls. Oh, they would never do that. Cause you think you know them, but you don't know them. You know, a character. <laughs> that's all, you know, <laughs> yeah. any thoughts on that? Like that, that just is an interesting dynamic, I think. Yeah. I mean, I it, go ahead. So no, I think it just speaks to our, our need to, um, for self-care disconnect and get out of reality and they become part of that not altered reality but sort of that <clears throat> that elevated um reality where well that's that's my good my good space they come from the good space so to to think negative things about someone um you know it's that disconnected you know you want to be in that happy place as opposed to the reality of is they're just as needy of support and love as we are. And as Todd said, um, so saving salvation. Yeah, definitely. For sure. What were you going to say, Blake? You know, it's, this is a tough, tough one for me is I, uh, Kind of like I said earlier, I think we have gotten in the habit in the church of kind of discounting positives oh, I, that come, I out, agree. come outside of it, right? I agree. Uh, Jesus can be working through these things and does, yes. Yeah, and, you know, I think we trust, if we trust Jesus at, at his word, <laughs> um, we, it, I think I would hope that it opens the world of consuming this stuff. Um, because there is truth in it. There is good that comes out of comedy and oh, absolutely, and music and all of this other stuff. Um, There's biblical truth that comes out of it, even if it's not written by anybody who's ever read the Bible. I mean, it's just metal, right? the truth is the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, the truth is the truth. Yep. You know how much I can't remember what I was reading, uh, but you know how much of the faith traditions that we have inherited are just as non-scriptural oh, as a sun god song. Almost right? all of them. Right? I, mean, I shouldn't say almost all of them, but a lot of them. Um, 
and so I I don't know. This is a I don't know I don't know quite what I uh, I think. I I feel with you, <laughs> and here's how I'll I feel with you, and here's how I'll hopefully help you see where I'm I'm at at it. I mean, if you read any of and Sal knows this because he's had to edit them sadly. Um, if you read any of my devotions, almost all of them are referencing some sort of like pop cultural type thing that, that people relate to. I think it's an excellent tool as a Christian to teach biblical truths using things that people are familiar with people, things that people relate to connect with. And to not do that is foolish. Jesus did it all the time in his ministry to not do that is foolish. Um, so as a theologian, I have no problem with my connection to celebrity because I, I sit there at night and think, oh, well, what about God? You know, like I'm already having that that dialogue with God and I already see God in secular things. I already do. Um, but most people, uh, most un, uh, most people who are not as solid as I am in my faith, let's say, or maybe aren't religious at all. Maybe they're the nuns, you know, um, I think it's my job as a theologian to direct people to to help them to see god in all things but when you don't see god in anything <laughs> you know that then that's a different dynamic when you start mm -hmm. looking i'm not saying god isn't working through their lives through those things even if they don't see it god absolutely is um mm -hmm. but it is a it is a line of of danger as well like you know it's a good thing but you can go too far with that and some people do so mm -hmm. that's kind of like that was the dynamic I, w I was personally thinking on, not so much to make a uh, secular versus Christian argument, because I think that's that's just stupid. I hate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you, you do wonder, you know, especially with people in the in the realm of celebrity, if they feel that pressure of people making more of their work than is appropriate. Yeah. Oh, yes. The celebrities feel it just you know, celebrities realize this probably more than I have, you know, because they have to, you know, I guess as a pastor and as a public um, as a public theologian to some degree. Uh, yeah. I mean, like when I go out, you know, like I'll say something from the pulpit and people will take that and turn it into something I absolutely, did, you know, like had no clue was being taken that way. Um, and that's just on the small scale. So you can imagine what the frustration celebrities probably have, uh, you know, like people thinking they know them and you just know a character I played and nothing more. <laughs> right. You know, and they think they have access to them. Like we can just interrupt your life and we know you, man. <laughs> well, there, <clears throat> there is that correlation to clergy because we are maybe on a much smaller yeah. scale. We are public figures as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, how many, and this ties into self-care, I mean, how many of our patients slash congregants think that they own our time um, or own oh, our, <laughs> so yeah. like, yep. um, you know, just like young kids think, oh, Bob Saget was my dad because he played this character, us to a much lesser degree, you know, well, that's, you're, you're my pastor and you have to make time for me i don't care if you're on your day off and you're with your newborn child you will make time for me yeah, um, yeah. so you know, on the flip side that doesn't allow for self-care because um in a sense the celebrity and we as clergy have been put on this pedestal of yes you're you're this beacon of morality or just whatever as a celebrity and you know you work for us 
So right. yes, um, and self and self care becomes very tricky when you're in the spotlight in any in any way, shape, or form, because mm-hmm. you then have to become very intentional about taking that self care time, and it's not always afforded to you even when you are. I mean, I just preached on Jesus uh, leaving his disciples after a night of healing people in Capernaum and going off to pray with God alone. And of course, the New Living Translation, normally I like the way they translate things, but this one, it says, though, they went out looking for him, which is true. They did. But when you look at the other translations and you look at the word in Greek, you know, it's not that they went looking for him. They went frantically looking for him. They were hunting him down, tracking him down. Where did he go? And Jesus had to say, like, dudes, no, this is my time. Like, and and I'm not going to be here in Capernaum for the rest of my ministry. So you're going to have to get used to that. And, uh, and, uh chill (laughs) you know but jesus even jesus had to be very intentional about self-care because um it's just not afforded to you when you're in the limelight it's just not you know like people demand your time they don't care that you're hungry and want to rest they need to be healed (laughs) And, and to be fair to them they need to be healed you know like you're crippled, you're blind, you're, you've got your demon possessed, that those, especially demon possessed. I mean, those are, th- those are things that, you know, like require a little urgency. They're not like, like, Oh, I stubbed my toe, heal me. You know, mm-hmm. like they're big, big, important things. So these people are really desperate and Jesus has to somehow balance that compassionately with also taking time for himself kind of stingily. And it's not stingily because you need that. Like that's something you need, but you feel stingy about it. I don't know, as clergy, I, I at least I do. Like, sometimes people will ask, can you do this? And I have to say no, and I feel bad. Mm-hmm. But I really shouldn't feel bad. <laughs> you know, like, I can't do yeah. it. It's just as simple as that, so. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I like we said before, things got rolling. Um, and I told, told Sal this yesterday when it happened. I just divested myself from all of my Presbyterian responsibilities. Right. And I was a chair of two different um, committees and a task force. And I mean, it was a lot, um, but that was part of why I had to do it is I was spending 20, sometimes 30 hours a month, just on Presbytery stuff. Jeez. Um, that's like an entire week. That's a <laughs> week. Not counting your actual work. Yeah. On top yeah. of that. And now we're switching. My wife has gone back to work today. She's working from home. That's where the baby went. I did not leave her somewhere. The baby is being cared for. Um, <laughs> But um, she goes back to the to work to work tomorrow, and mm-hmm. so from now until she's done with the school year at the end of May, it's going to be me and the kid because we're not putting her in daycare because it's obscenely expensive, right. and because COVID, <laughs> right? She's not right. vaccinated and Omicron, so we're not doing it. Um, so I was having kind of prolonged day you know days long panic attacks about how is this ever going to work with all this other stuff i have to plus we're uh, i haven't heard about the last church but three out of the four churches in our town voted to dissolve and become a new church so we've got that going as well and from the dissolve from the the denomination no dissolve as congregations they are oh and they merge they merge come together as a new congregation in the pcusa but um, but that somebody decided that Pentecost would be a great day, even though it's four months from now. Um, and so that's going to be a lot. 
Yeah. Um, and so I just like, I can't, I have to cut something, um, you know, and for me, you know, one of the things I've thought about with it is that we are kind of in, I've been feeling this snowball happening mm-hmm. even before COVID started, but especially after COVID, this snowball of responsibility, just picking up more and more stuff is falling to me. More and more stuff is dependent entirely on me, which is not how I want to pastor. It's not how I intend to pastor. COVID just made it happen. Um, and unspooling that snowball is almost impossible because now people have gotten used to me dealing with everything. Um, so that's, I think is another reason that making the choice to cut things out, um, was really important. Um, yes, I, I am right there with you and I actually made a very similar decision. I stepped down from Right at at the pandemic, once the pandemic hit, and then they were going to try to hold it again. It was in that pandemic period where I did a lot of reflecting, and I stepped down from leading search, um, stepped down from doing the Skylands District uh, Youth. Um, I stepped, you know, but here's what I didn't do, Blake, and maybe I should have, um, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, but I did step down from those things with the understanding that I'd gain a little more responsibility in more community related things. So like rather than serving the district this way, I'm now serving as vice president of my local rotary club, which gives me connections in the community, you know, like, so I, I, I divested myself of some things that were, I really needed to divest myself of. I couldn't do it anymore. I just didn't have the the, the heart or the passion or the energy for it. My, I always have the heart for it. I shouldn't say that, but I just didn't have the energy for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea that I really needed in this time to be focusing more on Newton and on the Newton community than on conference things far away that have no re- bear no relevance to what I'm doing in Newton. Mm-hmm. Um, and with mm-hmm. the pandemic being so crippling on the church, I just felt like that that's where my focus had to be. So I divested as well. Um, and, uh, obviously if I had had a young one to care for while working, uh, I probably would not have picked up those other responsibilities, but, but, but yeah, you have to, you have to divest, uh, sometimes of, you know, of, uh, things that you love to do again, your heart's there, but mm-hmm. you just can't mm-hmm. do it. You just can't do it. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I didn't divest of any denominational responsibilities, but I did kind of divest of a job. Yeah. During the pandemic, which, by the way, was a major defense. Yes, Um, when much like you, Blake, I was committing. Although I was paid for forty hours a week, I was maybe spending sixty, seventy hours a week dealing with this community, especially during the pandemic, because of my weekends were not my own. I was the only clergy responsible for five hundred people's well-being. being called away from my uh, newborn at the time. So um, sometimes I was able to, yeah, and for <laughs> most of the time for not good reasons, like, like things hey, that I could have been dealt computer with. computer on, you know, like, that's like, yeah. what? <laughs> but I just drove an hour here. Um, so I did, you know, and hospice has given me a little more freedom to do that. And I, I have had to learn with hospice because I've had some weekend calls but it hadn't been like i'm in a separate state with my family i cannot deal with this and they've just had to be like okay it will be dealt with on monday 
And um, you learn in those situations that when you stand up for yourself and just say no, people, unless you're a jerk and doing it all the time, people, people tend to understand, you know, especially, understand. especially people with, with a sense of, uh, you know, a mature understanding of the things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm, all, we're also at the point now with, uh, with Calvin, who's almost two years old now, my committees with the presbytery, COM, Committee on Ministry, for example, of course, because they're basing it not on a chaplain's availability, they're basing it on clergy's availability. And most clergy do not have young children and are, and are available at seven o'clock on a Tuesday. Um, so I've, while not divesting myself, I've, I've come to the point where Calvin stays up later now. If I have a two-year-old son that comes barging into the meeting and wants to be on daddy's lap and start hitting keys on the keyboard... That's what's happening. So be it. Presbytery can deal with it. Deal with it because you scheduled this meeting during a time when I normally would be winding down my son to put him to sleep. So right, right, right. Um, right. I don't feel guilty for wanting to let my son come be with daddy while he's at a meeting. And and I imagine they're they're graceful about it. I would hope. And they are. Most people are all just happy to see Calvin. So yeah, there's happy so to see somebody in the age of sixty. But that can put a lot of pressure on a parent because you don't you don't know they're going to be graceful about it until you find out they are. And so mm -hmm. it's like, well, you're, you're self-conscious. You want to be as diligent of, of, of a member of uh, COM or whatever as you can be. But you don't know how they're going to take a young baby screaming, crying and, you know, like. And, mm -hmm. and so that adds a lot of pressure to a parent. That's why a lot of parents don't come to church, actually. <laughs> It's right. sad to say they don't come to church because of the looks they get and not knowing how people are going to take their baby screaming through service. Mm -hmm. And sadly, the church has had a bad you know, track record on that yeah. and then wonders why kids don't show up. Well, I, you know, I think, too, about, you know, so we're I'm in a job search right now. One of the churches is a, um, in a transitional period. And one of the things we'll talk about is like meetings have to happen at a time when the people you want making the decisions are available. Yeah, you can't just say, well, you know, the, you know, this person and that person, you know, these, you know, the people, the older generation, they can make the meetings. I, I was talking to someone who the interim, they had all of the meetings were at 11 o'clock in the morning for the maps, for the mission studies, for all this stuff to make these decisions about who the next pastor was going to be. Who do you think came to those meetings? Right. Right. So who do you yeah. think they ended up getting? <laughs> Right. They yeah. got the person that that generation wanted um, yeah. and not the one that probably the church needed. And I think that's an important thing for the church to figure out is parents, I think, now more than ever, are much more willing to put up really firm boundaries around their families. Yes. Say, like, this isn't happening. If you if you aren't going to make an accommodation for us, like, we are just not going to be just not gonna be here. Yeah, well, that's fine. We're not going to be here. But you're making a choice. And so will we. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think being respectful of that is really important. I've I've been um, I've been thankful that um, the church has mostly been pretty cool uh, during the the COVID season. Something that was really hurtful that happened recently though was I put in for a month of parental leave, which starts next week, and they said, "Yeah, sure, but you have to preach two out of the four Sundays." So I'm not working. But I'm preaching because you have to work. And, and and part of the discussion when it came up at the congregational meeting was somebody said, "Well, he can do it on Saturday." 
Why don't you come over on Saturday and sit with me for that and see if you yeah. you change what I wanted, your mind? What I wanted was to find out who that person was and say, "Okay, you're up. You're up. You only get Saturday, and you're going to preach on Sunday. Let's see how this goes." Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, it, it's and again, it's because they don't understand, and I'm not the type who's like advertising how hard the job is because in the, in the grand scheme of things, our job is not that bad. Um, no, I mean like. Far it worse has job. its quirks like all jobs, right? Like our job is extremely tough in a way that other jobs are not. But then again, other jobs are extremely tough in a way that ours isn't. You know, like I may have a tough job in some ways, yes. But I also have the flexibility to move my schedule around the way others don't. So, yeah. so right. it, has, and, it has its pros and cons, yeah. Yeah, but I think, you know, one of the things that kept coming up during this discussion about the parental leave is like we're, you know, it was people in my corner. So understandably, it was very one-sided, of course. Um, but this kind of repeated refrain of, so this is what they really think about people with young families. They want them, but they don't want to pay the price of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? And and I think that, again, you know, we're, we're kind of going far afield. But I think that's a lesson the church needs to take heed of. You know, well, we it say, does, and it all connects that, to self-care. It all connects we want to the next care generation in involved, right? We want the next generation right. to know this good news that provides us an anchor in the storms of life and is one of the core sources of our self-care if it's being done right. But we're not willing to pay the price to get them in right. Yeah, that's right. Um, we, we want to keep what we want to keep, and they better like it, right? Um, I, I am certain that my daughter is going to like music that I do not like. I am 100% sure of it. And I'm doing my level best. To, to make sure that she likes as much uh, of the music that I enjoy as possible. Give her the foundation. She'll expand, but that foundation will be there. Um, <laughs> side note, we have to do a Cobra Kai 4 episode at some point. I just finished it. I yep. binged it over the last week. Uh, season 4 is freaking awesome. Oh, no. my yeah, God. Yeah, Cobra Kai Season 4, I almost suggested that this time, but I was like, oh, let it settle a little bit. Let people give some yeah, time to see it, but we should talk about yeah. it. Yeah. But we should. Well, what the, 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 the spoiler alert on that episode that we will definitely have to talk about is the, the absolute dogged determination by the adults in the room to yes. make their kids be them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And to make them for their mistakes. And the yes. fact that it's hurting everybody in the process by demanding oh, yes. a way of existence. Yes. And 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 the kids demonstrated self care by saying no. This is what I need. Yeah, um, yeah they said just, no. It's brilliant. It's just amazing. Um, and so yeah, I, I, I it's it, it's just amazing. So we will definitely talk about Cobra gotta, Kai. Yep. Um, gotta do it. in an episode. Um, Yep. I'm mindful of our time and that we have a, a we have to go see our patrons on the other end of this. Uh, so those of you who are not patrons, you should be. Hello. Uh, but before mm-hmm. before I move us forward to that, um, I'm noticing that both Sal and I have uh, uh, we're head we're wing headed. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice that, yep. Blake? <laughs> Yeah, yeah so cells overcompensating I, for my wings. <laughs> what I see is a, what I see is a, a weeping angel behind Todd. Um, <laughs> so don't don't blink. Uh, don't even blink. Um, yeah. Doctor Who reference for anybody interested. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, Sal, it looks like you have. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that is. Uh, That's going to take you high, though. I'm pretty sure. 
Yeah. Well, it's my embodiment of the angel of death. So, Amen. There you are. You know, there you living are. Up to my... There you are. And mine is much more rocking like you're at a Manson concert or something. Yours is much more like you are the angel True. of death. Yes, I have to agree. Yeah. Cool. Well, friends, this has been a great time. Uh, great discussion. Uh, really, really great discussion. Uh, uh, and so check out the episode notes, of course. You know, our, our favorite drinks and whatnot will be in there. Um, but remember, guys, and this is very important, be excellent to each other. Don't be a jerk. And take care of yourself. Cool. Yeah.